Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to Matthew chapter number 4. I think one of the hardest tasks of preaching is to come to familiar text and see them in a light that you haven't seen them before so as to bring fresh knowledge, fresh food to those that are listening. It is sometimes a scary place to be. Um, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I often have Eliza read my sermons because I'm always afraid that in seeing something in a new light, I've become heretical. So she's my heresy meter. Today we come to a familiar very familiar text and as we continue our look at grief and the effects of grief and how to deal with grief we look at a familiar text in a very different light and so I have but one request for you today and that you listen till the end Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come together to hear your word today. And as we come together, Lord, we do so knowing that we are scattered. We have assembled here, but we know that, that there are folks watching from home. Lord, we pray that you be with them. We know, Lord, that there are folks watching from uh, care facilities. We pray, Lord, that you would be with them, that you would be with the folks that are uh, helping them to be uh, better, whether that is, uh, Lord, at ARMC or at uh, Liberty Commons or at uh, Brookwood or wherever that might be. That, Lord, you would watch over all. Lord, we know that there are folks who maybe have never tuned in and are gathered as new members of the community today. And we pray, Lord, that you would enable us to forge new bonds with them. But, Lord, 
despite how we gather or from whence we gather. We gather to hear. So Lord, grant us wisdom and understanding to hear and to apply what it is that you say to us today. Lord, grant me words for all of those who have gathered to hear. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, he would be in the wilderness. What more appropriate place to be found for someone dealing with grief? When we reference the wilderness, images of darkness and foreboding fill our mind. And I suspect that congregant images fill our mind when we say grief. The wilderness is full of the unknown, much like grief. Likewise, the least sound or movement can trigger unexpected and undesired emotional responses and outbursts while in the wilderness. And can't we say that the same is true like grief? We don't know when something will trigger an emotional response. It could be something as mundane as a song on the radio, but it will trigger our grief. And so the setting is an appropriate one for the devil to seize the opportunity to process his grief. Wait a minute, you might be thinking. I think I misunderstood you. I didn't hear what you said. Did you say the devil? Don't you mean Jesus? No, I meant the devil. Although we should not lose sight of Jesus' grief in this passage. And we'll come back to that. The question arises, why on earth would the devil be grieving Well, why wouldn't he? What he had thought was his undisputed reign on earth has come to an end with the baptism of Jesus. The thousands of years that had passed since the prophecy was uttered in Eden that the heel of the man would crush the head of the serpent had been followed by a lot of talk by God, continued prophecy after prophecy, and then all of those hundreds of years of silence before the scene in Bethlehem had unfolded 30 years prior. Yet 30 more years of silence until the baptism at the Jordan could only have lulled the devil into some false sense of security that it was all just a false alarm. That God was still not going to do anything to change the scales where the weight of sin hung like a millstone around humanity's neck. Now, though, the devil knew. He knew, though it was only his pride that caused him to think otherwise, that God never ceases to be faithful. Though God might take some 
what some would deem an inordinate amount of time to fulfill a promise, it is nevertheless going to be fulfilled. And so the devil, after millennia of what he could term victories, suffers an ignominious and soul-shattering loss as Jesus breaks the surface of the Jordan and the Spirit descends on him as a dove. Let us recall, beloved, that grief, as we stated last week, is often suffered under circumstances beyond that of just physical death. And so here we are in the wilderness of grief for this meeting between Jesus and the devil. The meeting has no basis in prophetic utterance. Matthew and the other gospel writers fail to cite any Old Testament passage that this meeting occurs so that the words of some ancient prophet might be fulfilled. Why then is it recorded here in sacred script? Well, certainly it teaches Jesus' disciples about temptation and how to persevere during those times. We cannot miss that implication because of verse 1 in Matthew 4. But we overlook some things when we limit it to just this modern definition of temptation that means to lure away. First, we miss that temptation here also means to test so as to determine the quality of someone. In other words, the devil is trying to determine if Jesus is who the devil thinks he is and that the reality that would accompany such a determination that the devil's days are numbered. Secondly, if we limit this account to simply a tale about the devil attempting to lure Jesus away from his mission, we miss a truth that is so essential for anyone grieving. And that is that regardless of where you are in your faith journey, how low you may feel, how many doubts you have, how many questions you offer, your real or assumed guilt, regardless of all circumstances, God still pursues you and welcomes you into His presence. We cannot forget that the Spirit, verse 2 tells us, led Jesus into the wilderness. That the devil came to him and that Jesus did not greet the devil by telling him to get lost. Jesus entertains the devil's questions and propositions throughout the text. And if God will arrange this meeting with Jesus and allow someone who has caused as much harm and is filled with such malice as the devil, regardless of whether or not we may consider the devil to be grieving. To have such an encounter, God, too, welcomes us. He welcomes whatever we may bring Him, regardless of how we may feel about God. And let us be honest, grief will occasionally cause us to believe that God is punishing us, that God is rejecting us. Any number of things crosses our mind, and accordingly our communion with God grows bitter and cold. 
let us see afresh in this morning's text that God is always open to hearing from and talking to us because unlike the devil, if we hearken back to last week, we must remember we, we are the beloved of God. Now, before we delve into specific emotions presented in the text, I feel it incumbent to put to rest a common misunderstanding about grief. Years ago, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross proposed five stages of grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Over time, general understandings of these stages morphed into a step-by-step process that everyone could jump through like a pre-flight checklist and get through their grief quickly. First, we must remember that because the loss never goes away, neither does the accompanying grief. The frequency and intensity of our grief will hopefully change as we deal with the task that grief presents us. But grief, beloved, will never go away. Secondly, everyone experiences grief differently because everyone's loss differs. It is what Wayne Oates referred to as your particular grief. Just like your DNA and your fingerprints are unique. Your grief may share some similarities to other people's, which is what Kubler-Ross was referring to, but it is certainly not cookie-cutter or linearly aligned where our emotions flow in a clear and logical line. My grief is different from your grief because my loss is different from your loss. We may have both lost parents, but the circumstances would be different. We may have lost parents under set set circumstances, but the relationship between the parent and the child may be different. The sets of things around the loss will be different, and so the grief will be different. It cannot, therefore, then flow in a clear and logical line. Accordingly, then, it is perfectly natural to be perfectly in in shock and denial when a loss first occurs in our life. It is why I believe the devil poses his first two temptations in the form of an if-you-are-the-son-of-God question. The devil can't believe that God has actually fulfilled the prophecies. And so he must test if Jesus is for real. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. The devil is living in a fantasy land. And beloved... So often we do as well. We paint it in nice pictures like being optimistic or hopeful or even saying we are faithful, that we must always give allowance for God to do something and so therefore we won't acknowledge our grief. It was one of the most difficult things in my life 
in the last year to have to continuously hear my father say in his grief that he would walk again after his stroke, knowing all the time that it was never going to happen apart from a miraculous intervention by God. But I could not say anything, I felt, because I would kill his faith and move him in a negative direction if I burst his fantasy land. Dr. Kenneth Doka writes that the first task of grief is to acknowledge the loss and the second is to begin to cope with the pain of the loss. Beloved, these are impossible to do if we continue to deny that we have lost something and live in a fantasy world. Thus it falls to us as friends and family to ever so gently and gracefully nudge the grieving out of such fantasy worlds. Jesus does this by not relying on a new teaching. He doesn't demonstrate his power. He could have turned those stones into bread, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't even remind the devil that Jesus remembered when the devil was created because the devil is created. There is only one who is not created, and that is God. So Jesus didn't even say, well, I remember the day that you were born. Jesus just simply quoted Scripture. It was the word that the devil was denying. And it is the word that Jesus uses to undermine the fantasy position that the devil holds. Even when the devil gives him scripture, Jesus gives him scripture right back. Beloved, it is the word that always sustains us and nurtures us. And Jesus responds to the devil's fantasy world with the reality and the finality that the Word of God delivers. Therefore, it is incumbent upon us to always know the Word. It is always incumbent upon us to study the Word. And it is incumbent upon us to speak the Word at the right time to the right people, even when they may give us the Word back. Next, we see the devil, the devil attempting to be a deal maker with Jesus. Verse 8 says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Such bargaining is natural for a griever to go through. We all do it. We are faced with a loss and we say, God, if you will just fix this, I'll make church every Sunday and I'll join the Tuesday night Zoom study. God, if you will restore this, I'll give all credit to you. God, I'll pledge my life to ministry and service if you just make this right. And by the way, the vision of right that I see is mine. It doesn't necessarily have to be yours, God, but you have to restore it back to what I want. And if you do that, then I will devote my life to your service. We may even go so far as to say, God, I deserve this. I deserve you taking care of this. Whatever 
the recouping of the loss is at that moment. God, I've done a lot for you and I deserve this. Can't you cut me some slack? It's the same kind of bargaining, beloved, that we see in the text. But hear me, you do not have to feel ashamed that you have done this. We've all done it. I've done it. I did it. At the end of last semester, sitting in my car in a literal hurricane as the winds blew and the rain fell, as I faced what was to me two incomprehensible losses in six days. And I said, God, I've done all this. You can't cut me some slack. Let us understand, though, I think this is why Jesus gets so angry at Satan in verse 10 and says, Be gone so angrily. Jesus understands that we are bargaining for something less than the ideal and He wants the very best for us. The glories that Satan offers in verse number 9 were nothing compared to the incomparable glory of fulfilling the will of God. The glories we seek through our bargaining, though well-intentioned they may be, are nothing compared to what God has on the other side of our wilderness experience. We must never allow the wilderness of grief to obstruct or diminish the glory of God that God has awaiting for us on the other side. And we should note... Jesus knows that the glory Satan offers is a short-circuiting of the process. A process that will be difficult and painful as it involves a killing cross and a cold tomb. But again, the glory of Easter morning makes the process worthwhile and so Jesus will not short-circuit it. On the other side of all of the difficulties, all of the grief that Jesus will face will be me and you entering into relationship with Him. It will be the forever destruction of Satan's power on the world. And so Jesus says, I will not short-circuit this. I will not allow this glory that you present me to be... uh, Though it is in fear to overcome the greater glory. I will go through it. I will not short-circuit this process. Beloved, neither should we. Neither should we. It is natural to bargain, but we cannot let the bargaining keep us from the greater glory. And so the text tells us that the devil departs. He departs clearly choosing to stay in his fantasy world as Luke's account of this event states that he departed for, quote, a more opportune time. Mick Jagger would famously write of that more opportune time in his song with the Rolling Stones entitled Sympathy for the Devil. And it could be interpreted the devil has spent the intervening years, as that song speaks of, lashing out in his grief through the heartaches he has helped perpetrate on humanity. But you and I, beloved, do not have to choose that path today of grief consuming us and keeping us from the best for what God has prepared for us.
Again, we return to the fact that Jesus is also actively grieving in this text, as we saw last week and as we will see once again next week. I believe that is one reason why the devil is trying to test Jesus so, because the devil knows that when we find ourselves in the darkest parts of the wilderness of grief, our faith is often racked by doubt and questioning and unbelief. Jesus, though, through this encounter with the devil, shows us that we can grow through grief. That we may be mourning loss, but that we can grow beyond loss and not be overcome. Jesus reminds us that the Word of God is sufficient to our every task, including the task of grieving. And in verse number 11, that God will constantly supply and minister to our needs. The angels, Matthew records, come to meet Jesus' needs. They minister to Him is how Matthew refers to it. One modern southern retelling of the Gospels recounts this verse and says that the angels brought Jesus, quote, Honey and biscuits. That's my kind of ministering to a need. I don't know, though, if that is the case. But I do know this. That the Scripture says that the righteous have never been forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. I know the Scriptures say that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, And that tells me that it might be a brown cow, a Holstein cow, a black cow, a cow like they have over in Raleigh with a hole in the side of it that you can look in. It could be a fill-in-the-blank cow. I don't know all of bovine anatomy and physiology as I should. But regardless, God has plenty to meet my needs. And yes... That's even when those needs include the big hole in my soul that losses have left behind. Yes, your grief may be particular to you. But the same God who made your particular DNA and your particular fingerprints can meet this particular need with the particular grace you need for this particular moment. Beloved, there is a path through the wilderness of grief today. Jesus took the path. The devil did not. I don't think Jagger was right. There should be no sympathy for him. But I will say this, I do feel sympathy for all those who choose not to take the path that God offers to each of us through grief. Because in failing to do so, we miss His grace. We miss His greater glory. And we miss growth in our relationship with God. Beloved, 
what path will you choose today? Will the angels come and minister to you? Or will you keep them all at an arm's length away and continue in the darkness of the wilderness? Let's pray. Lord, we are all in some form grieving today because we've all sat here and can chronicle losses. We know that there are losses that, Lord, we have encountered, but we haven't even begun to acknowledge or chronicle. So, Lord, I pray today that you would enable us through your grace to recognize where we are hurting, to leave the fantasy lands that we have set up habitations and move into your reality. We hear the name that God gave Moses, I am, meaning that, Lord, you are in the present. You are here and you invite us into your reality because it is ours whether we choose to recognize it. And so, Lord, I pray that as we enter into that reality, we would be overcome by your presence, by your love and by your grace, and that, Lord, you would minister to us. Give us strength to leave behind what we need to leave and put before us a bright dawn of hope. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the Sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound.